Hello, everybody. It's Cindy Novotny, and I am here to personally kick off another episode of My Secrets to Stamina. So for any new listeners, I want to welcome you all back. I can't believe how long this podcast has been going and how excited everybody is to have more and more guests. I'm thrilled to have everybody join me to all my loyal fans as well. So since we launched this podcast, I've been talking about what my secrets are to really living with no balance and loving it. And I found that so many of my guests speak about this differently. And that's really what today's episode is all about. I'm getting incredible feedback. I'm happy to have this platform to share all of this. And I love the fact that the listeners, no matter what role you have in life, want to improve and find ways to live your life to the fullest. Everybody has a dream. Everybody's on a journey. And my goal is to help you to be successful and live the life you want. They've deemed me the radical mentor. No kidding. And I'm here to help you live that untraditional life. There is no standard definition of balance, but you do have to have stamina to get it all done. So let's do this. Today, I welcome a dear friend. And I mean, seriously, I've known him for a long time. He is a fellow leader, an entrepreneur, Mr. Mark Ainsworth. Mark is a CEO of Lowell Farms. We're going to talk about it all today, what it takes to be truly extraordinary in leadership in today's world, all things being in the cannabis business. My first cannabis client, gotta love it. The education I got was over the top. His secrets to stamina, his love for food and travel. So let's get in and really start talking. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding? I mean, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. So many of our listeners may not be obviously as familiar uh, with you as I am. So let's start by sharing a little bit about your journey, because, you know, I knew you all the way back many years ago through your food and beverage journey in hotels and now to cannabis. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, (laughs) let's see. Um, You know, I, uh, I was a chef. I worked, uh, I went to uh, Johnson and Wales University. I got a degree in baking and pastry arts, um, uh, food service management. I left university and went to work for uh, a very talented pastry chef in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, I was there for four and a half years and had the opportunity to join uh, one of his friends uh, who was on the U.S. Culinary Olympic team with him. Um, and they did really well. One of the first U.S. teams to actually medal. Um, and yes, there really is a, an Olympics for culinary out there. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So uh, one day I went in and I said to my boss, I think I've learned uh, all I can learn here. And uh, I think I'm ready to take the next step somewhere else. Can you help me me uh, find a job? And I think, you know, kind of a, an odd concept these days where, you know, the great resignation and people leaving, they don't you know, they don't really sign up for mentorship and, and working with somebody to move on uh, and advance in their careers. And uh, he went into his office. Uh, he came back out about an hour later and said, pack your, go home, pack your stuff, you're done. And I was like, oh, geez, did I upset you? Like, am I getting fired? He's like, no, you're moving to Florida. You're going to go to the Ritz-Carlton uh, and you're going to be working for them. So, you know, that kind of started a journey where we met uh, in the late in the late 90s. You know, I did that. Uh, I ended up being moved out to a corporate trainer, opened some hotels for them, quality coach, 
Malcolm Baldridge uh, National Quality Award twice, uh, Rich Carlton won. That's really where I, I met you for the first time was getting ready for that. You know, got moved out to California because San Francisco lost its fifth star and they sent a, a team of chefs out to, uh, you know, work on revitalizing that hotel and getting the, the um, star back. Uh, we did accomplish that. And that was, you know, I'm dating myself, but that was years before uh, Michelin uh, came to the United States. So, you know, I opened a few businesses after I left uh, Ritz Carlton and, uh, you know, was making food products for uh, Whole Foods, Costco. And, you know, I opened a, a large baking company that was organic certified and the only bakery to ever be certified as a humane manufacturer by the American Humane Society. So cool. Yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting. You know, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we just sought out on a journey to use the best ingredients possible and it led us down this path to where... All of our animal proteins were coming from farms that were certified uh, humane by American Humane Society. So we did one of the first licensing agreements to use the mark on all our retail products and, and supermarkets in you know, uh, California. That's uh, it's very important animal husbandry uh, and, and the care in which people take uh, to, to provide for the animals. So, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, seven, eight years of doing that, large-scale manufacturing, uh, CPG products. I got approached uh, by a couple of gentlemen who were starting to look at getting into the cannabis business. And, you know, it was really nascent at the time. There was a lot of people who, you know, had uh, tried to do it, been incarcerated, and just like a whole list of pioneers who really, really, you know, paved the way for folks like myself to, uh, to try to get involved in the space and produce products that, you know, using um, consumer safety and GMPs and just really producing products that could go on a shelf that would be safe to consume versus things that were made put in Ziploc bags and, you know, label stickers. So, you know, fast forward uh, there, uh, you know, it got involved in that and then somehow, some way, shape or form, eight years uh, later, I'm CEO of a publicly traded cannabis company. Which is, which I'm very proud to say that I love the fact that you reached out right away. Um, That's when you were doing more edibles and with the pastries, I didn't quite get it myself. And the knowledge and the learning that I got in this fast life and fast lane of cannabis quickly uh, was wonderful. I mean, it was like, and I, I love, there's a couple things I want to just chat about, right? That you've just said, and I'll, I'll stick with the pioneer first. You know, I always say, and I, I feel like I pioneer things too, and I, you are a pioneer, and you've always been that. You've been that entrepreneur, even when you were working, you know, when you worked for Ritz-Carlton like I did in the Malcolm Baldridge and the Horse Schulte days, you know, we understood that we had to be in charge of our destiny. We understood that we had to push. So there was two things that I really love. One is that a pioneer always goes out and paves the way. And then it's always the settlers that yell from behind, hey, is it safe out there? You know, because I want to get into this business. And I think you and I both know that, hey, go ahead, get in it. But you know what? We know where the landmines are. We know what we've done. We know how to push it. That's how Horst Schultz was with Ritz Carlton. Very few people can copy that. He wrote all the books. We would go around, as you know, because you were part of that team with Malcolm Baldridge, and we would train all these companies on how to get a Malcolm Baldridge award. And I remember saying to Horst one time, like, I mean, 
we're giving away all our secrets and everybody's going to copy. And he goes, yeah, no, no one will copy. Everybody wants to listen and they want to do it, but very few people have guts to do it. Don't you feel like that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, I'll, you know, I like to use analogies going back to my baking days. It's, you know, we, you know, we could share a recipe for, you know, a lemon tart, something as simple and basic as a lemon tart, give it to the 10 different chefs and it's going to come out differently every time because there's a lot of things you know, involved in making a great lemon tart. Like, you know, you, you know, do you, are you going to get up and at four in the morning and bake the tart shell fresh or are you going to make them days in advance? So, you know, a lot of times it's process and discipline, um, you know, and technology, it's not just, it's not same, same. So you're right. I mean, it's a commitment. Leadership is a commitment. It's, uh, you know, I give selflessly of myself and the, there are many times when I get home and, you know, my wife's like, you've been drinking, there's nothing left for the family. Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of what it takes, you know. Right. And and again, all you have to do is look at the, the true pioneers. I mean, the ones that, you know, not that I base everything on the show Yellowstone that I love, but if you look at really, I could probably, I think to myself, could I have done it? And, you know, sometimes I look back and go, yeah, I probably could have because I too give 150% and then there's nothing left at the end of the day where I'm just kind of like, wow, I just have to sit in a, in a chair and put my feet up and, and calm down. But one other thing you said, right when you kind of, we kicked this off that I want to go back to was that, um, that boss you had general manager that basically said, when you said, look, there's nothing more for me here. And I've learned as much as I can. And that next day or afternoon, whatever he came in and said, okay, pack your things, you're leaving. Um, and you said, well, am I, where am I, am I in trouble? I didn't mean, and he said, no, you're going to the Ritz-Carlton. That is the epitome of a true mentor and a true leader of talent. And even in today's great resignation world, and I think some of that is a bit kind of lame because there's so many people out there that, that aren't coming back to work that it's like, okay, I don't, I, I don't even know where you are. And I don't even know if you were that motivated, but that guy gave you the wings. They gave you the ability to go out. And, and to this day, where you are today has a lot to do with that moment in time. Right. Sure. I mean, you know, um, I've always been a very direct person. I've, I've never shied away from open dialogue. You know, I have a couple of weird philosophies that I always like, or things that I'm, I strongly believe in. And I believe that a difficult conversation is going to have to be had either today or six weeks from now. And, you know, when you start talking about things like emotional bank account, and the more interactions I have with you and the more withdrawals that I have with you and I take away from that account. And then at the point in time where you don't want to hear from me anymore, your ears are closed. If I then decide to have that conversation with you, then you're just going to, you know, Yahtzee, give me the, the, you know, the middle finger salute and walk out the door and you're done. So I, uh, you know, I prefer to just say like, hey, like, we need to talk about this. You know, I'm not sure why this is happening or what's going on, but like, it's not acceptable. And, you know, one of the great things about leading this team that I have today is that, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, with you and having your team come in to help us work on a common vocabulary. You know, when you have a multi-generational workforce, it's a little bit difficult to have conversation with them above the line and below the line behavior and how it's not acceptable. So, you know, being able to get everybody a vocabulary where of, of words that they know aren't threatening to them and to be able to use that to just, you know, 
move behavior in in a way that the organization is going to grow and thrive, you know, has been very helpful. I think I love it when the team, you know, even looks at me and goes, Hey, smart feedback. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I know, I know I'm going to get it here. So, um, you know, we've been able to build a culture around um, being earnest or, you know, forthright with one another and just say like, like, this isn't working. And I, how do we fix this? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the more people, you know, that are committed to communicating like that, or, you know, the, the overall organization is going to be much more successful. Exactly. And, you know, and I know, I know for a fact that this industry gave you a whole new, you know, way to look at things. And you've surrounded yourself with people that, you know, are in your inner circle that you trust that, you know, you can count on. And, and with that, you know, in your opinion, what is one of the biggest learnings working in such a pioneering industry? I mean, it is, you know, cannabis is a pioneering industry because people don't, I don't think the average consumer, you know, even really get it. So what's, you know, what's been some of the biggest learnings? Uh, well, well, you know, banking has been an issue. So, I mean, we're always dealing with cash. You know, it's very important for and me explain, to explain. I don't, I tell people this, but explain because of, of, because it's not legal, I guess, in all the States, but explain a little about yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the United States government, you know, it's still federally illegal. Um, when they, when a bank gets its charter, they're required to find uh, fraud and fr- and find uh, money laundering and find uh, illegal banking actions, and uh, you know they're charged with with policing it. It's not like the government polices it. It's they're they have to be diligent in finding it, and if they don't, and the government audits them, then it's, it's big fines for them. So we just instituted that right away. And you know, truth be told, it was a cost to the business. I mean, it cost us. You know, we spend excess of a million dollars a year in lab testing um, just to make sure we're putting safe, compliant product into the market. Um, and you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that, uh, that goes to the black marketers in the black market. That's, you know, not the best for consumption. It's got molds, it's got heavy metals. Um, a lot of the grows that happen outside, if they're growing in the dirt, I mean, they're pulling up uh, lead and arsenic and, and stuff from, from the soil. So, um, you know, we have rigorous standards, all of our products, they get tested when they're harvested they get tested after the process they get tested when they're blended they get tested in this you know subcomponent you know production and then they get state coa tested so i mean you know we don't have to ask anything yeah but you know because consumer safety i mean you know we, we we're really really focused on that yeah exactly well, I think my biggest, you know, I think the biggest amount of um, messages or images and, you know, people that liked my picture was the one where I was holding those two big bags of like the bad stuff that was getting thrown away. It was, it was an exciting picture I had. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, no, it's true. I mean, like, listen, we just, you know, we just launched a new, a new product. Um, it's a, it's like, a, it's a pre-roll. It looks like a cigarette, but it doesn't have a filter. It's, it's like all organic, you know, like materials hemp paper and you know and virgin cardboard and you know it's our flower grown at our farm but like like you can't do that level of automation where we are today where you know on a shift they make you know eighty thousand of these sticks whereas in the past we maybe made like 10 or 12 so ramping up to automation really meant you have to put all these disciplines in place beforehand otherwise you're just going to lose money if you fail so i mean it's you know we we've you know from an innovation perspective always trying to innovate in a space where you know, you may think innovation is difficult or it comes with an electronic device. 
um, you know, for us to be able to do it on the manufacturing and machinery side, it's been a long time coming for us and a discipline and like a staff that, you know, can carry the weight because the work is done by the people. It's not done by me. I mean, you know, I'm me and the executives are trying to put all these pieces of the puzzle together to where it all comes together. And, you know, it's really the employees that show up every day and give their heart and soul for to, just to provide for their families that are really executing the, the, the work. Exactly. And um, with that, because you have some such a diverse uh, team, you have a diverse team, uh, tips that you would give anybody, because anybody working in a hotel is a diverse team. I get that. Or restaurants or in any industry, really automotive, everything. But in this industry, because you do have people working on the farm, you have people, I don't think people get it, marketing, communications, you know, there's, it's a whole a whole type of uh, scope is completely different. So what tips do you have uh, for people listening today on leading such a diverse team? You know, honestly, I, I, I do a lot of listening. I think I have a, a good BS meter. Um, so like, here's a, here's a, here's a great thing that, you know, that I love to talk about is about a year and change ago, you know, we had just finished construction at our farm. Um, we were struggling have good product out there there was a fire in the valley that caused a lot of smoke and it was a record five-day heat wave so we had this like incredible heat we couldn't open the vents you know our automation on our environmentals wasn't finished yet we just finished like the physical construction we had plants in all the greenhouses and the rooms got up to 120 degrees so a lot of the plants suffered and struggled and uh cannabis plants when when the plants are stressed uh you know viroids happen or once they start to weaken, that's when the pests come in and they start to infest. Uh, um, so when the plants are healthy, you don't have these types of issues. So, you know, we went out and sought out a new team. Uh, we brought in and basically, you know, um, the, the idea, the, the, the message to them was like, listen, we're going to build a culture where we're going to, I don't believe Fatumi is fake it till you make it. I believe it's face it till you make it. So we're going to talk about the prop. We're going to talk about the problems. Right. We're, we're going to be honest, brutally honest. You're going to tell me what you need. I don't know how to grow marijuana. I'm not a farmer. You know, um, you know, my wife does all the, 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 the gardening at the house. I just do construction. I turn the soil and I cook the food. So right. as far as like amending the soils and knowing the pH and all that stuff, that's, I'm never going to learn the 30 years that these guys have behind them because they've been growing cannabis forever. Um, I'm just going to stay out of your way. You're going to tell me what you need. You're going to be honest. And we're going to try things and we're going to get it done. So, you know, giving like, it was a true testament, bringing a group together, like letting them have a voice, you know, being involved in the planning of the work that affected them. And then just, you know, setting some standards saying like, this is what we need. This is what we can spend. This is what we need to do on how we're going to get there. And we tried to do that throughout all of the different business units. Um, and it, and it, and it's worked well for us. Right. I love face it till you make it. That's that's a good one. I've given yeah. you a few good ones that some of them we can't use on on live uh, yeah. podcast. But yeah, face it, not fake it. Face it. I love that. Uh, so yeah, problems don't go away. You know, no, so, they never do. Yeah, and yeah nobody, no. Yeah. And most people won't face it. Most people don't face it. They just kind of ignore it. And then those problems just get bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to say to everybody, we're going to make a decision. We're going to watch the trend. If it trends up, we'll stick with it. If it trends down, we'll make another decision. Yeah. And like, that's that's it. Like, we'll just stay there. And, you know, listen, we do, we take a lot of TQM, you know, 
stuff into work and we'll, you know, we'll do a fishbone diagram where we're looking for the process breakdown and where are the holes and what aren't, what aren't we covering? I mean, you know, we, we try to be, you know, I try to take everything that I embraced the, uh, at Ritz Carlton. I, I drank the Kool-Aid like when I yeah. got there, yeah, I loved too. it. I, I learned it. I mean, I embraced it and I carry it with me today. Um, I think I still have my green book that we were supposed to return, but I won't say anything if you That's don't. Right. They, um, they, they wouldn't. They don't even know that they have that anymore. Uh, so, you know, the reality is, it's like, you know, the team, you know, because of the culture we've built at our company, we've done a great job of bringing people onto our team that are at companies nearby us that they may have certain better parts of their business that are better than ours, but their culture isn't as good. And, you know, people leave them and come to us because our culture is good and we give them a platform you know, where they can thrive and grow and, and yeah, provide yeah. for their fa- for their families. So, and I bet in this industry, it's really like the wild, wild west. So that if there's other, you know, companies out there that are just, you know, kind of just do what they got to do to get through this and get it to a point of where things become a little bit more normal. So you're creating normal before normal's even involved. Right. So it's, that's very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a fortunate spot. I mean, I, you know, as CEO of the company, I really just get to focus on people and process. You know, I've got a great board of directors and, uh, you know, our chairman, uh, who's private equity background, he focuses on capital markets and, um, and a lot of the investor communications. So, you know, I, I'm grateful for that relationship because I really just get to focus on, on seats on the bus and, and how we do things, uh, every day. So, um, you know, that makes my job uh, a lot easier. And, uh, you know, and I can focus on what I think really will drive, you know, shareholder value. Right, exactly. And then all of this comes down to the fact that this is a tough gig and it's you work hard. And like you say, you sometimes come home and your wife says like, okay, there's not much left for us. So let's talk about your family because I know family is so important to you. I mean, you have a beautiful wife, a adorable son, unbelievable, but you do make time. And I love that you make time for your family. You know, everybody talks about working moms and, you know, how do I balance, but really you're that dad. And I think you need to share, you know, how do you make it all work? Because you really do a good job at that, Mark. So share a little bit about how you, how you make that work. We'll, we'll give her a shout later and let her know that I'm, I do a good job because, uh, Sometimes I don't like, listen, today, once, once we finish this call, um, I try to work from home on Fridays and pick up my son at one. And then I get to spend a little bit of time in the afternoon with him versus getting home, you know, later, later in the day. My a normal week for me is Monday through Thursday at the office. I'm probably up by four 30. I don't do the, I'm going to go exercise and go to the gym thing. I probably should, but that's not the, that's not, that's not uber important for me. The morning is for me to do my research on whatever it is I'm trying to learn about. And I think one of the things that I, that has always kept me fresh is um, every quarter I want to learn something new. So I push myself to research and learn about something, whether it's about my industry or, you know, like right now I'm all about barbecue. So, cause it's like, you know, cooking is my stress relief, but I oh, get up I, in the yeah. morning and, yeah, and I watch videos and I, and I, and I cook my son breakfast every morning. Um, oh. We have an eight, we have an eight, eight o'clock leadership call. Um, I try to be on the road by that. I get to the office. I get home about seven. Maybe my wife waits for me. Maybe she doesn't wait for me for dinner. The kids are already eaten. Um, I give him a bath, read him a book. Sometimes he'll let me. He, he prefers mom to read him a book. But uh, every now and then I get to hang out and watch that. But I'm I'm involved in that. And then, uh, you know, the one thing that I do do that uh, I tell every 
every guy in the world, if he wants to have a happy home is do the dishes. I do the dishes every night. No question. I just jump in and do it. And uh, I, I get away with a lot of grief around the house because I do the dishes. And that's the week. And then Friday, like I said, I work from home. It's kind of an admin day. And then pick him up. And today we're going to go to the pumpkin patch when we're done here with a friend of ours and yeah. play with some goats and so on and so forth. But, you know, the reality is that I try to set boundaries, you know, what I'm going to do, and what I'm not going to do or what I'm going to like let, uh, you know, stuck the energy out of me or not. But um, that's I, I try to be disciplined. And I, and I I've gotten better over over the years with, you know, I'm 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 the guy who buys a different style of note planner three or four times a week. Am I using uh, uh, Pumadoros or time blocking or whatever? So I mean, know. that's why you and I are, like I love you. You're, you're just great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I I uh, you know I was I've been experimenting with this uh, application for AI time blocking where you put all your tasks in there and it like just pops it on your calendar and yeah damn this thing was running me ragged and I was so productive and had no free <laughs> no free time to take a phone call so I've had to learn how to how to block free time in there but uh you know I just try to, to do, the, do the best I can and I and I make every weekend for the family I mean that's you know that's it for me um it's like the hotel they talk about guest problem resolution like you know for me the reality is there's no such thing as balance exactly I mean, yeah. I'm either I'm either focused on work or the family. And sometimes I have to ask my wife for, um, you know, some forgiveness, because like there will be time on the weekends where we have a board meeting coming and we've got to go through a board deck and you know she gets it. She knows the gig. And sometimes she doesn't. And she just tells me, I need you for three hours. And you need to put the phone down. I'm like, yes, dear. communication communication Communication. yes dear um well let's talk real quick i know we're gonna getting ready to wrap this up but i do your weekends are so important and uh the fact that you love to cook i mean i look at all your instagrams and you are you're an incredible cook that's for sure um you have great culinary uh skills but you have a passion a real passion for italy clearly and uh so tell us, you know, tell us some of your favorite things that people should never miss when going to Italy, um, especially on the culinary side. What are some things that people should never miss? You know, um, we don't typically do like Rome, Florence, you know, we're more off the beaten path kind of people. Right. Um, you know, I like I like to go to small family wineries. We have some friends now that since we've been you know for many years to the same place they're like family to us and like the daughter of the family is a a few years younger than us and the son-in-law is the same age so you know we've holidayed with them uh um once and you know we they're coming to the states again this year we may go meet up with them and spend some time with them so they're they're very dear to us and you know when we go out and visit them you know it's just uh in tuscany it's just it's a country it's country living they live on a farm i mean the farm is been in the family 500 years and it's a beautiful agriturismo and the family has a beautiful palazzo so you know i mean they they have some 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 beautiful uh, architecture and some history to their family um that goes back a long ways but uh, they're the most sweetest kindest people in the world so you know we we like to spend time with them and they've introduced us to uh folks that uh, we probably would have not have found through um uh, the different travel sites and so on and so forth and right. uh, you know and, you know, and we, like, think, we, like, we like to go where seafood is, you know, yeah. that's, that's our thing. I love it. I love it. So my last question is, since this is all about my secrets to stamina, 
what are your secrets? And I, I know that I don't also get up. I get up really early too, but I'm not getting up to take a run, right? I'm not getting up to go to the gym. Uh, so what are your secrets to stamina? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, um, I just know myself and I know, and I know, I know when to push and I know when to, and when I need a break, um, you know, so do I really have a secret? I, I mean, I just know, I know my body and I know, you know, when I'm, when I'm stressed, um, you know, I, I started doing some, uh, um, breathing exercises, which, uh, I thought was a little, uh, uh pardon the expression, hippy dippy when it was, uh, <laughs> like explained to me and uh, I started to do it. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is pretty no, it works. It, that yeah. Works. Yes. So, you know, so I, I've, you know, fallen into different Eastern medicine ways uh, to really kind of balance the stress of, uh, of the role that I have and um, being able to be, uh, you know, present and available for, you know, my four-year-old son, because, you know, you know, he wants, dad, let's get on the floor and play the Lego spaceships. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's yeah. it. I mean, I just, I rest when I can and I go when I can go. You're just like me. We're pretty much like brother and sister. We're, we, we got the same thing. Well, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking this time. I know how busy you are and I know how crazy it is, but thank you so much for joining me on my Secrets to Stamina podcast. Well, thank you for having me. And it's always, it's always great to listen to you. And, I, and I've been listening to the podcast and loving it, learning many a great thing with the different guests you had that uh, I hadn't, like, my, one of my favorite ones was the one about the, um, the person who sent the spaces. And yeah, uh, I, I, I thought that was a super cool yeah. Um, business. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, everyone, thank you again, Mark. And please join me for my next episode as I speak to another boss babe entrepreneur, Lily Tazikas, as she works for American Express. She's not going to do this episode on behalf of Amex, but as a consumer, and she's going to share some of the most amazing insight with us. We're calling this episode The Point Sisters, because both of us know how to really take those points to the nth degree with our American Express. She's going to share all of the tips about membership award benefits that most of you probably aren't even aware of. Uh, when I first sat down with her and I met her at a global travel event, the things that she said to me blew my mind. I have a, an American Express Platinum card. I wasn't taking advantage of it. Now I'm all about it. And I'm excited to have you all learn the same thing. So we will absolutely be excited to have you on our next podcast, Talking All Points with the Point Sisters. Thank you again, everyone.